Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, Damian Mason. I'm your host, but you already knew that. It said so in the introduction. Got a great show for you today. Joni Grimes with Premium Agricultural Commodities Incorporated is joining me. Joni is a two-time client of mine. That's right. She has hired me to do speaking engagements for her organization. What is PACI, P-A-C-I? She's going to tell you all about it, but the reason she's joining us here today is because today we're going to talk about supply. With all of the events of coronavirus, the pandemic, the, the global shutdown of the economy and what's happening certainly here in the United States of America I said wait a minute are farmers gonna be able to get their inputs you know she's in Ohio I'm from Indiana we know that a lot of our products get produced and used uh, I'm sorry get a lot of our crops get produced in those areas and certainly that's where we use a lot of our inputs so we're heading into spring I thought there's an important question we've heard about shortages of labor like for produce and specialty crop uh, issues with migrant labor uh, restrictions. Now we got to know, are we going to have enough seed? Are we have enough chemical, enough fertilizer, enough fungicide, insecticide? Joni Grimes, welcome to the business of agriculture. You're going to answer all those questions and more. Well, thanks, Damien. I appreciate it. And I would like to assure you that we are 110% stocked and ready to go for the spring of 2020. Okay, and that's the important thing. So real quickly, about PACI, P-A-C-I, you are a, an Ohio-based cooperative that acts as retailer for your farmer members. You represent your farmers uh, and get them all the inputs they need. But tell our listeners whatever I missed there. Well, Premium Ag Commodities, or PACI for short, is how we operate, is a private cooperative that 34 entities or farming entities within Ohio and the surrounding states are a part of. And we secure supply for them in both in all fertilized chemicals and seed to where uh, they will have their goods for what they need to put out the crop for 2020 and beyond. Okay, so these, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a cooperative in the traditional sense, just like, you know, you used to go and all the farmers owned the cooperative that was the grain mill, but you guys don't do the grain mill, you don't do, uh, you don't even do feed, do you? No, we do not. Um, we do do some commodity feeds as far as truckloads of gluten or distillers that will go direct to the farm, but we do not work with uh, uh, custom feeds at that point. If you're not a livestock person and you're new to the business of agriculture, she just said distillers. She was, that's shorthand for dried distillers grains, which are a byproduct of the ethanol industry used as a feed product, typically for beef and dairy operations, right? And not, yes. And not only is it a byproduct for ethanol, it's also a byproduct for whiskey. And with, with the the distillers could become an issue on some of the shortness for the simple reason that the ethanol plants are going into lower production, but those distillers markets will shift to uh, be able to pick more up through the whiskey industry. 
Yeah, uh, that, I, we're getting a little bit off the uh, the main subject. That's okay, because this is an important discussion here. I've seen on social media people that are closer to the livestock industry uh, from a feed side. Uh, you know, certainly you're a beef rancher there in Ohio, and I've even bought steers off of you. I'm a beef hobbyist, but I don't buy semi-loads of dried distiller grain. So the ethanol, this is the old trickle-down thing, ethanol slows down because at $1.11 gas, you can't justify cranking out ethanol even though corn is cheap so are we going to have a shortage of the byproduct dried distiller grains that we use for livestock feed and as you just pointed out maybe from the ethanol source but then it picks up from the alcohol source and livestock producers are pretty shrewd individuals they will go to the least cost portion and find another ingredient that they can substitute that it will work until that market comes back by the way, I think that getting the uh, getting the dry distillers grains from makers of human consumption alcohol is going to be good for as long as we're locked in because I know that uh, I have friends that said they, they stocked up for their three weeks of groceries and three weeks of alcohol and somehow they only end up with a week's worth of alcohol. <laughs> I think there's plenty of alcohol being consumed during the economic uh, forced shutdown of our economy because of coronavirus. All right. So the stuff that you buy, 175,000 acres is what you told me you represent because you've got some pretty big hitters there with your members of PACI. Of those 175,000 acres, that's, that's almost all corn and soybeans and anything else? And a little bit of wheat as a rotation, but predominantly corn and soybeans. Okay, so the first question I had was, I heard from some farm friends that I have, they were curious as to whether they're going to get their seed. Now, this was a couple, three weeks ago, they said, if we got some problems at the border or at the ports, are we going to get the seed? Because it comes from other countries where they use the opposite season in the Southern Hemisphere to doctor up some of the genetics. Am I right? That is correct, but you also have to remember that it had to be on a boat long, long ago in order for it to be here for the spring of 2020. Um, I, all the suppliers that we have dealt with and the uh, seed companies, the supply is there. We are not encountering uh, any more stress because of the coronavirus uh, limitations than what uh, we have in the past. Yes, there are some varieties that are sold out that are popular, and we're having really more emphasis on stress because of people changing what they were planning upon doing. For instance, we were looking at a lot of corn, and I know the USDA says we'll still plant a lot of corn. I do believe we'll plant a lot of corn, but there are people who are looking at more beans now simply because our basis has eroded so tremendously because of the ethanol markets uh, on the decrease. Okay, so on an outlook, I know that that's a job for the USDA, not necessarily for Joni and Damien to do on the Business of Agriculture podcast. From an outlook standpoint, I still haven't seen that there's a great deal of variation on our typical planting or intended planting acres. Are you seeing something that's very different from last year? No, there, well, we will have more corn than we had last year. The economics just show that we uh, are going to lean heavier to corn, where last year was a little heavier to beans. And But most will not deter from their standard rotation. Mm -hmm. There will be um, some more corn after corn this year, but we're still, the weather is going to play more havoc with us than what the, the planning intentions will. Okay, so seed is the basis of everything. I got concerned a couple of weeks ago when I had some farm people say, yeah, we're not sure. And I said, but there's probably enough still just sitting around. There's going to be some last year's, even if you had last year's inventory, right? I mean, it's going to lose a little bit of its uh, efficacy or its uh, productivity probably, but it's still around. You say not an issue at all. You're, you're going to have plenty of seed and you think the whole country has enough seed. 
For the spring of 2020, we feel very comfortable that we will be just fine in seed supply. And you get your, you as a cooperative acting as retailer, you deal with all the bigs and some of the smalls, right? Very much so. We do a lot of regional seed, but we also do a lot of uh, national seed, whether it be DeKalb or Pioneer or Asgro. Um, you know, we have not had issues. There's actually been more issues with some of the farmers maybe not wanting to take delivery at this point, simply because that they're a little uh, um, cautious as far as letting outside operate, you know, outside producers or operations on their farm in this time of where we're supposed to be stay at home. Yeah, I mean, I guess All it's, the warehouses. of course, I think it's an easy enough deal. You say, okay, the, the barn door is open, uh, back the semi in there, and, and uh, there's a skid loader sitting there. Uh, you know how to run it. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people are seeing and doing. Um, truly, the, the large farmers, when this started to happen, everybody said, bring me my seed, put it in here. We want it now. And especially on chemicals, we have seen a lot of chemicals already on the farm. They just went ahead and got their entire spring needs there. So if a lockdown did happen and start to affect ag, that they had everything they were going to need to put that crop out for this year. Okay, and now you're talking for your geography, but you think that's pretty well the case, whether we're talking Nebraska or Iowa or Kansas or Indiana or anywhere in between? Well, while I can't speak for the, the central Corn Belt and western Corn Belt, my friends tell me that we're still in pretty good shape. So... And if any place was going to run out, it'd be the, the fringes and us being on the eastern side of the Corn Belt. I would think we would see more pressure before a lot of others. All right. So anything else? We talked about seed. Do you see on, on chemistry, you say that uh, whether you're talking the big, big companies or even some of the smaller uh, niche companies, no problem, no shortage on chemistry? I do not believe for this spring. However, I really feel that we're going, this thing is going to have a long tail. And we're going to start seeing some effects in the fall when we perhaps look for wheat, when we start to do fall burn down, when we start to plan for 2021. I mean, there's a lot of our chemistry that comes from overseas. And if this thing doesn't straighten up, we could have some supply issues But for 2021. But for 2020, we're going to get it in the ground. I heard about that also. Yeah, I don't. I, okay, now let's say we have some freakishly bad situation with the spring weather, and then uh, one third of our acres need replanted. Are we 133% of supply on seed? I can't tell you that for sure, but given the history, while we may not be able to do the exact variety that we want to replant, we'll have access to seed to be able to get it replanted. Yeah, and then when you talk about the next year, I've wondered about that also. There's a real call to bring manufacturing back home, for instance, like with pharmaceuticals. When the American people found out, this was actually information from the media that wasn't uh, uh, bastardized, like so much of it sometimes is, where it said 80% of the more commodity-grade like human medicines, you know, like your amoxicillin or something like that that's been around for a long time, was manufactured, at least uh, byproducts of it, or sorry, the raw ingredients of it were manufactured in China. And everybody's like, what the heck? What are we doing? What's the deal with our agricultural chemicals? Do we have any reliance on China? Oh, very much so. There's a lot of our generics that are actually produced in China. Uh, one of our major manufacturers um, is, uh, has monetary ties to China. And so it's you going can tell, to... Hey, you can tell us who that is. I think we all know, but in case somebody listening says, who's that? Well, okay. Well, I really wanted to make sure I wasn't uh, getting anybody in trouble, but Sajena... Sajena, right. Sajena was bought by the Chinese, what, two years ago? Two or three, yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so you've got that. So you've got the, not only the exposure, but the actual ownership. And then, like you said, so what generic 2,4-D or generic glyphosates, are they coming from China? Very much so. China is a very large uh, glyphosate importer to the United States. Okay, so that manufacturing might come back home to our own benefit. It's interesting. On the West Coast, we're suing the maker, the original manufacturer and uh trademarker of glyphosate. Uh, but then the reality is we need this stuff. So on the one hand, we're suing them to try and uh, put them out of business. On the other hand, you and I are saying, uh, while you're suing them over there in San Francisco, we really need glyphosate to uh, make sure our food supply. And I think there's going to be a backlash on that. Do you predict the same thing? I would very much agree with you. And really, there is no, we have the capability of producing everything that we need in the United States, as far as the chemical per portion is considered. Uh, it was just an economic decision uh, when these contracts were made a long time ago. Do you, do, you, do you think that some of the manufacturing between now and spring 2021 comes around? I predict that we're going to have our facilities are going to start bringing some of the manufacturing back home for the good of uh, our food autonomy. I agree 110% with that as well. All right. Her name is Joni Grimes, by the way, in case you just forgot or you just somehow skipped to the 12-minute portion of this. I'm Damian Mason. It's time for your commercial break. The commercial break's very simple. I'm still looking for a sponsor for the Business of Agriculture podcast. For two and a half years, I never had one. I didn't want any people to say, oh, gosh, he's just doing this for the money. And you know what? It dawned on me, hey. Why not make a little money? So if you'd like to be a sponsor of the Business of Agriculture podcast, you drop me a line. You know how to find me. I'm everywhere. Social media, DamianMason.com. We'd love to have you on. By the way, the Business of Agriculture podcast, prior to about a month and a half ago, was just an audio podcast where you can catch it on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. But it's now also a video. If you are only a listener, I'd love you to be a viewer. Go to the Damian Mason YouTube channel. It's D Mason Comedy, hearkening back to my old days in political comedy. D Mason Comedy, and find the playlist that says Business of Agriculture. While you're there, please subscribe. All right, Joni Grimes. Uh, any issue, okay, you said nothing on seed, you think we're fine. Next year might be the issue. Nothing on uh, chemical inputs. Do you anticipate any supply issues uh, moving forward? Is there anything that you see this year? I don't see the actual uh, ingredients or, or fertilize that we're going to be needing. I think it's going to be more the infrastructure and the transportation issues. We've already had limitations on uh, not while well, not ours for the truckers, but them not being able to make contact with the terminals that they're picking stuff up with. And where some of these terminals were 24-7 pickup, they're now going to more restricted hours and uh, trying to keep the social distancing. It is definitely going to slow down the um, ability for us to be able to get the product out as fast as we can, but it's nothing that we won't be able to, to work around. What about, okay, if let's just say, and we're not future predictors, and nor are we, I mean, we kind of are. Uh, we're also not uh, infectious disease experts, you and I, Joni, but we get to September, harvest starts in our part of the world. Uh, and then there's all these funky conditions now about, uh, I mean, who knows? Does this, does this tail, you talk about the tail, does this impact how we're still interacting and what happens come September, October, November when we need to be putting this stuff in piles and putting it uh, on rail cars? 
I believe we're going to enter into a time that we've never seen and that we there are definitely going to be some lingering effects of how we interact with one another, how we deliver our products and how, what we're going to have to do to substantiate that our products are safe. I believe you're going to see this sustainability and uh, product safety uh, escalate as far as being able to track and trace everything that we do with our crops. So I don't see any, um, you know, food uh, problems based on any of this. Here's one that I have wondered about, and I want your perspective. Okay, we got people not being, you know, they had to go to work. You know, they're supposed to work from home. Well, agriculture can't really work from home. On the one hand, our farmers do usually have a home office or an office in their shop or whatever, and they tend to not have to, you know, go to a, a place of business per se. But what about if we... Um, if we have an issue, we are definitely a business that you can't just, uh, you know, the, the grain uh, handlers, the stuff on the rail, the stuff in the processing facilities. You know, I, I made that point. 45 miles from my farm is a Tyson plant. They kill a couple thousand hogs a day, I think. You can't tell those people to work from home. You can't kill a couple thousand hogs per day from your, you know, from your home office. Are we going to see an issue with uh, our workers uh, and then, you know, besides the migrant issue, are we going to see an issue with our workers or availability? If this virus is, uh, continues to be extremely contagious and we cannot get a handle on it, if that gets into some of the workers at those plants, our markets will be devastated because they've got to shut down those plants in order to clean things up and to uh, go under some type of quarantine because of the workers. Um, while we talk a lot about corn and soybeans and seed, we need to really look at this livestock portion of it. Um, for instance, today, uh, they basically have discontinued the call cow market and took mega dollars off of the market today simply because of um, how they're treating those, or how those animals work through the pipeline. And, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you get to looking at some of these facilities in the Midwest and uh, through Kansas with all of these beef plants, uh, we get an outbreak that is close to that and uh, it'll make the Tyson fire um, look pretty mild as far as um, how our meats and our proteins work through the system. Okay, so uh, we are recording this, by the way, on Friday, April 3rd. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to release. In case something more timely comes up, it'll be pushed back. But the conversation with Joni, I just saw something about this this morning, and I didn't get to delve into it because I'm busy with some other projects right now, um, mostly keeping my business afloat and managing this stupid uh, stimulus uh, package thing. You said call cows. Uh, I saw one headline about this. What are we saying? What happened? Well, the call cow market got extremely strong when people stopped uh, moving fats yeah. and uh, moving them to the plants because of the suppressed market. So it's not an uncommon practice that if the market goes down, some of these feedlots will feed them to a heavier weight. So then the call cow market uh, picks up because they still need product to grind into hamburgers and that type of thing. Um, so it was more of a management type thing from the industry trying to um, interject 
beef back into the system. And I speak more about beef simply because I'm a little more familiar with it. But well, you're a beer, beef rancher and you're a beef person. By the way, just dawned on me, since you and I are both, I'm, I'm from more from the dairy side, certainly. But uh, if you're a listener that you just, you love this because you get good information here at the Business of Agriculture, but we're using vernacular that you're not familiar with, a call cow. It doesn't mean that they're a call girl. It doesn't mean you call them up when you want to go and have some fun uh, discreetly in a hotel room. It's call with a U. And I'll let Joey tell you what a call cow is. Basically, it's animals that have uh, lived out their usefulness and for one reason or another are sent to slaughter plants to turn into and go into the meat industry. They're very safe and uh, follow all the guidelines that all the other beef industries do. It's just a way of us to dispose animals that are no longer uh, extremely efficient and productive on the farm. Yeah, and, and you'll typically think of an older female cow. She's had six calves. Uh, you know, she's an older dairy cow. Again, like Tony said, the, the safety is all there, but they don't tend to go for. They're not going to make choice or prime cuts of uh, of steaks. They're going to a lot of it's going to go to burger or uh, processed meats. Exactly, and it is a way. I mean, none of us want to see animals suffer, and that is uh, a way of us humanely dealing with animals to where they uh, do not live out their life in misery. So the cold cow, uh, what you're saying is then there's the, the, the processing facilities needed to stay busy. Uh, beef prices were beaten down, so the feed yards weren't sending uh, prime steers. Instead, uh, to keep their facilities running, they said, all right, we're going to run cold cows through here. So what happened? Now we, we got glutted and the price came down. Is that what happened? And... Part of it was that, and a lot of it too is supply. I mean, it's a pretty steady supply. And when you try to shift from one area to another, you just ran out, run out of numbers that you need. Okay, so are we saying that we burned through too many call cows or we decided that uh, there's no demand for them? What's happening? Well, I don't think it's not that there's a demand for them. I think it's more that they're just trying to influx uh, more quality beef into the system to where they can keep things more stable uh, and more even keel. All right, coronavirus, you and I know what's happening. Uh, agriculture, and you and I said this before we started recording, agriculture tends to run counter cyclical. We're pretty beaten down right now. I mean, I can't speak for avocados because I don't, I don't really hang in that space. I know almonds are still uh, you know, selling well, that kind of stuff. But in the stuff that you think of more mainstream uh, agriculture, are we going to see a bounce back now if the rest of the economy has been from a government imposition uh, put into uh, damn near depression territory, certainly recession territory, does that mean agriculture has a rally? Well, I'm never going to say never, but I can tell you that in many years of history, that sure seems to be what will happen. Um, at being a, in ag, I'm kind of rooting that we have an upswing because our producers have been through a lot of stress the last few years with a lot of depressed prices, and uh, they need a little light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen because this is something we've never, ever seen, but I'm banking that uh, history's going to repeat itself and we're going to get back into that pattern. I don't think we're going to see a super high super cycle. You know, we've, we came out of the last one in 2013, so it's been seven years. Usually the lulls in between super cycles last like 25 years, not seven. But a, a little price improvement would be good. I have pointed out that these consumers are uh, buying a lot of food. I mean, we saw people that bought groceries that have never bought groceries before because of this whole pandemic. Uh, does that trend stick? I believe it'll stick. I think the 
The one thing that we've got to remember is that people always need to eat and we got to have a constant feed, food source. And that's something that we'll definitely do. I do think though that our markets will be more affected, uh, at least short term, by the weather than it will be by the virus. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And of course, then there's a global issue. And I, I've I've been having to hear about China every sentence of every ag person's dialogue for the last 20 years to where I'm pretty well sick of it. You know, I think that we've learned out of this that China is not the answer to all of our problems that we thought it was. Trade with China is not what, the, you know, it's not, we're not going to hit phase one of that agreement. There's they, it, was, it was economically unattainable when they uh, agreed to it, that they're going to buy, what, $50 billion of ag products in the first year or something like that? That would be like two times more than they ever have during their peak. Um, so when you look at what's moves forward, I don't think it's going to be trade with them that's going to change it. It's going to be, I think, new alliances. I think Europe and the United States become more aligned over all of this. Oh, I believe so as well. And I think this you know, with disasters, all good, good things come out of disasters. We learn a lot about ourselves, we learn a lot about our industry, and we learn a lot about how different things operate. And we're going to definitely do some fine tuning and we're gonna be able to make some changes to, to make this a, a better gig in the long run. Well, do you see, uh, okay, do you see on the supply side, that's where you mostly spend your time because you're, you're, you're on that supply side. Do you see anything that changes what we consume on the farm? I mean, do, are you going to see that, you know, we always get more inventive, right? Is there going to be anything that you're thinking right now? Hey, I'll bet you this forces this to happen. I see it more on the tech side. I think we will see more tech come into to play. I think the tech industry, uh, there will be a lot of things that we'll be able to analyze and put into effect. Um, I also see that it's going to allow us to be more efficient because instead of having relation, as you and I both know, ag is extremely relation oriented and relationships is what has built this business. It's going to continue, but we're just going to do it in a different way, in a more efficient way to where we'll have more um, Zoom meetings and we're going to have more webinars and, and more interactive, but not maybe necessarily the one-on-one. -on -one. And it's going to allow us to, uh, one of the reasons why my group Packy worked was because we allowed our producers to become what, the, to do what they really wanted to do. And that was to produce a crop the best way that they could. And we took away a lot of the, the um, intermittent stuff that they really maybe didn't like to do as well as far as sourcing supplies or getting information um, and not knowing exactly where to find that information. And I think it's going to allow uh, us to be able to become more effective and get that information still to the producers in a way that they can be able to make their operations the best that they can be. All right, you're on the supply side. You act as retailer, as a cooperative, uh, as a buying uh, entity or buying cooperative for your people. Uh, the elephant in the room for all of my ag retailer customers has been uh, the farmers business networks and the online stuff. Um, do they get a better leg hold because of the coronavirus thing or does it impact them at all? Just curious. I don't know if it's going to impact them much. I think they've been used more as an information source than as a, an actual um, product source. And it's given, it is given, to me, what I have seen is it has given both the large and small farmers an ability to be able to compare at the same thing to where uh, a, 
it was no secret in the industry that a lot of times some of the smaller farmers did not get as good of a deal uh, when they went to deal with their local retailers as a large producer did. And I think that is what has um, even the playing field per se to where the retailers are going to have to be more on their game in order to make sure that they can service the customers that they need and want. Yeah, I, I think that's probably would, would have been my read also. I don't know that it's going to make it so that all of a sudden an online uh, input provider gets 20 times uh, more business. I'd say that uh, we were already trending to where folks were shopping online, doing some comparison, and you know, information's probably more readily available than it's ever been. I could call you and say, hey, I need to buy – uh, you know, a semi-load of uh, this, uh, what should I be paying? And you would say, you know, maybe that wouldn't have been an, an issue so many years ago. I don't know. Um, what else are we seeing? Okay, besides the technology and the online, other other observations here toward the end of our time together? Well, and, as the, and I don't believe this is going to be a real, not because of the virus, but just simply because of the economy. Uh, we all know that the farmer is an aged population. And while we were extremely fortunate in the mid, uh, you know, 2012 to 15, that we got to bring a lot of young people back to the farm and they're able to make a living and, and make a good living and provide for their families. It was getting pretty tough uh, to continue that. And I think that you're going to see some of these older people, uh, older generations say, hey, we're going to turn it over to somebody else. We don't want to lose the equity that we've built. We can have a, a decent retirement and rent out our farm. And I think you're going to see um, quite a turnover in uh, land going to different to different entities to farm. Well, at least, uh, or at least operators. Maybe the land, maybe the 65-year-old retains the land, but the operator actually does become younger. And it, usually it's yes. not happening that way. Usually the person hangs around until they're 75, 80 years old. Especially in our area in the Eastern Corn Belt, we have seen a lot of farmers of retirement age say, and I'm talking, you know, 65, 70, and 70 for a farmer is pretty young these days. Mm -hmm. And hey, we're going to rent it out. We're going to let somebody else do it. And we're going to keep the ground and, um, you know, go ahead and, and advance that way. Her name is Joni Grimes. She runs Packy, that's Premium Agricultural Cooperative Incorporated in Southern Ohio. She represents buyers. They work as a buying group uh, for 175,000 acres. So she's got a pretty good handle on that. That's between just, what you say, 34 operations? 34 operations, yes. They're pretty big. They're big farmers. They're big farm operators. Actually, the group, I mean, yes, we have a lot of acres, but what is so unique is that we have farms from 1,200 acres to, to 17,000 acres. So we have quite a gamut of producers. It's not all big guys. And it's very interesting and intriguing to get everybody's perspective regardless of your size. Speaking of perspective, she came on here to talk about, are we going to see a problem on supply? Are we going to see an issue on inputs? And she says no. Joni says we have enough seed, we have enough fertilizer, we have enough chemical, we have everything we need to get a crop produced in the year 2020. Looking a year ahead, she says what? That we're going to have to see how long this really lasts. And we could end up with some uh, supply issues down the road based on the imports that are coming in. You have to remember a lot of the fertilizer that uh, was going to be coming up the pipeline and uh, up the ports were bought long before this hit. So we're just going to have to see how long it lasts and what type of 
issues that we have sourcing from the other countries that we deal with. And maybe that's a call to uh, put it out there right now in spring of 2020 uh, to bring some manufacturing back here to make sure that we do have the inputs we require. And also, frankly, it's going to force some other practices. You know, that's what's the old thing about, you know, uh, uh, it was it. Uh, Necessity is the mother of invention. Um, there might be some people that have to start doing some different practices because they can't quite get their hands on all the stuff we've always gotten, but uh, we'll see. And there's nothing more inventive than a farmer that's got a little time on his hands. So it'll be exciting and interesting to see what they come up with. I'm the author of Food Fear, my last little commercial here for you. If you have not picked up this book, please do so. It's straight talk about the business of food and agriculture, everything from foodies to food fights to the fundamentals of farming and the history and where we're moving forward with uh, food causes. My name's Damian Mason. Her name's Joni Grimes. Thank you for being on here, Joni. Thank you very much. I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. It's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.